0: be happy to start okay great um well today is thursday may 5th 2016 this is the fiction old and new book group and tonight we're very privileged to have author aileen ohanezian joining us to discuss her wonderful debut novel or hans inheritance which we all read for tonight's meeting so i'm just going to take a moment and go over what we have planned um, first, I'm going to just read a brief introduction about Aline, and then I'm going to uh, ask her a couple of questions just to get the conversation started, mm-hmm. and then we're going to have Ron and, and Daniel transfer us over to the computer room so everybody will have a chance to to speak with her. So why don't I read the introduction? Um, Aline Ohanezian was born in Kuwait and moved with her family to Southern California when she was three years old. She has master's degree in history, and had nearly completed her PhD when she turned her attention to writing Orhan's inheritance. She's an alumnus of the prestigious Bread Loaf and Squaw Valley Writers Conferences. Um, I I believe she's I know she's at least bilingual. She might be more than bilingual. Um, she speaks English and Armenian. And I've heard in other interviews that I listened that she also speaks a little Turkish and Arabic, so I I would even say multilingual. Um, Orhan's Inheritance is her debut novel. It was long listed for the 2015 Center for Fiction's first novel prize. Her writing has been a finalist for the Penn Bellwether Award for Socially Engaged Fiction and the Glimmer Train Best New Writers Award. Um, Aline lives in California with her husband and their two sons. So I thought maybe um, a good place that we could start the conversation about, about your novel would be to talk a little bit about the village that you created in the story. I'm probably going to mispronounce Karud. Car- um, and, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the research that you did to, to create this village
1: Well, the idea of the village came to me when I realized that I had to place these characters someplace in the Ottoman Empire. And I wanted to place them in an area where there was a lot of secondary sources. And by that I mean um, artifacts and historical documents that had survived and that I could read in order to immerse myself in the environment. And I read a lot of history books, and there was quite a bit about this province named Sivas. And so I, I learned all I could about the province, and then I dove into my imagination, and I invented a village... Uh, I invented the home, and I could see it in my head. And I wrote an entire draft with this house in mind—the Melkonian house. And I even saw that on top of the doorway they had a stone archway, and there was a there was a gate. And three years after. Uh, you know, after I'd spent so much time creating this world and these characters, I decided I'd like to go to Turkey and visit this region. And I had had the name of a village that my favorite Armenian poet was from, and I had a map um, that was almost 100 years old. And I knew that this village was 100% Armenian, and it was on the outskirts of that province and I knew that because the Pope had recognized this village as 100% Christian in a very Muslim country. So armed with this 100 year old map I convinced my husband to come with me. um, We, you know, landed in the middle of Anatolia which is very, very different from the more touristic regions of turkey and we proceeded to it was quite an adventure um finding that village because the name of the village had changed but we did ultimately find it and we when we walked in the minute we opened the doors of our rental vehicle there was a strong odor and pretty soon we found out that they were still burning cow dung for fuel and they were still getting water from a well and that they had a very, very high illiteracy rate, especially among the women. So it was like walking into a time warp, and so we we spent time in that village, and we looked for evidence of Armenians, and um, we found very little, but there was uh, the, the cavity of a dilapidated home that when i first saw it it took my breath away because it was exactly how i had described the melconian home and it had a it had a stone triangular piece at the very top it wasn't over the doorway the way i had described it but it was um on the second story and there was the armenian letter seventh letter of the armenian alphabet which is code um it there, that letter could be found in every armenian church in the world and it it means god is here and so it was a very emotional trip and i knew then that i was writing something that the universe wanted me to continue pursuing because hey, my God, world... what a
0: story <laughs>
1: right i I'm, I'm giving you the short version <laughs> the yeah the, the it's amazing the, the the world in the universe was validating what i was seeing mm-hmm. and writing
0: that, that that's amazing just i can just picture you and your husband with your map and and it's 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 unbelievable that's 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 really an amazing story um I actually loved Kamal's description of the house that was in dispute here. I, I loved how he described it. It's, you know, it's two stories. It's not one story. No animals are allowed in the house. There's furniture all over the place. And the women who live in this house they're so alive, they're so vibrant, they argue, they have their opinions and it's, it was just it was just wonderful listening you know uh, you know visualing what visualizing what it would be like, what this house was like and the people that lived in it. it really just listening to you talk about your experiences it, you, it really came across in the novels so so well.
1: Thank you. you know the part about no animals going inside of it. Um, I when I wrote that it was sort of a flight of fancy and my imagination. But when we were in the village of Pivkinik, uh, which is the uh, village that uh, Cattle is based on, every time it rained, they would escort the cows indoors. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my and my husband still has not forgiven me for that trip for that reason. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it certainly sounded like a memorable trip, it really was, and I'm, I'm sure it was wonderful just to have your, what you imagined and actually you know, being there and experiencing it, it's, it's really incredible. Um, most of the characters in your story are fictional imaginings, but you do have one real-life character, Mary Graham, who was the Christian missionary and the teacher. I was wondering, how did you come upon her story and why did you decide to include her in your novel? Well, as you
1: know, I was pursuing a PhD in history, so I had I knew how to research in archives, and I found uh, as many letters as I could read in as many languages as I could decipher, and of course, uh, my English is is very good. And she had Mary Grafham was a missionary who wrote letters home to Rhode Island. To friends, family, and to the the organization she was a part of, and so from her letters I could reconstruct the deportation path um, because she had indeed escorted her students. Uh, she called them her Christians. Um, almost okay. halfway, all the all the way to Malatia, and as I was writing the novel, I was fictionalizing absolutely everyone. But I felt that Mary Graham was a woman that history had forgotten. And I did not want to be, you know, one more person who kind of, I, I just wanted to pay my respect um, and some kind of tribute to her. So I decided mm-hmm. to use her real name so that the world could remember what she had done out of the goodness of her heart.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was wonderful. I, I heard you speak in another interview that I, I had not realized that she was a real person, and I think that was wonderful that you actually included her in, in your novel. Um, at one point in the story, Kamal says to Lucine, he says, the desert is littered with the bodies of your people, and you, Lucine, are, are carrying this burden with you. And she says, yes, but she says, not only am I carrying it, my children and my children's children are carrying it with me. And I think that when we all read the story, we all got to experience maybe to a little bit of a degree, uh, you know, this this transgenerational, this multigenerational grief. And I, I wondered, I, I know it's a really big topic, but I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about it, about that experience.
1: Sure. Um, I'd like to add that when when she responds, she also says not only herself, her children, her children's children, but, it, it, but he will also be carrying this burden. And for me, that was the reason I wrote the novel. As a descendant mm-hmm. of survivors, I knew what it was like to be handed this legacy of trauma, um, this bag of bones, if you will. Um, And I have two sons. My sons were very, very young when I started writing this novel. They were ages 4 and 15 months old. And I knew at some point I would have to tell them their history. And I was just not sure how I wanted to present it to them. I wanted to come from a place, place of love and forgiveness and reconciliation. But I also wanted... Um, to leave something to the descendants of you know people of Turkey, um, and I felt that i I could put all my thoughts and feelings into this novel and um, present the history not only to to my children and the Armenians of their generation who are now two, three, and four. Uh, Generations, sometimes, from the event, but also for Turkish people whose grandparents um, were alive during this terrible event in history.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you've you've definitely accomplished what you you wanted to do, and I think you've actually given actually a gift to the world, really, by writing this novel. And 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 it's it's really it's it's it was such a it was, it was such a sad book, but it was also such a beautiful book. You know, if that makes sense, when I read it, I, I just kept thinking, what a sad but in, incredibly beautiful story this is. Um, it, it's Thank almost you, contradictory, Michelle. but it's really not. Um, I was wondering, and um, have you received any response at all from the Turkish community around the world, maybe the Turkish-American community, or perhaps even somebody of Turkish ancestry around the world, like an email or any any type of I, response?
1: The only uh, responses I've received have been positive and open-minded. Um, mm-hmm. I was expecting at every stop in my very lengthy multi-city <laughs> book tour to be confronted or heckled by someone... And that's never happened, and I think uh-huh. it's one more one more sign that the world was ready for the story. Unfortunately, I don't think the same can be said in for, for certain people in Turkey. This book has not been translated into Turkish, and yeah. the current regime is quite um, extreme in their fundamentalist uh, views so uh-huh. I suspect that if and when the book is translated into Turkish I will be uh, m- much more careful about my public appearances
0: Wow that that's quite a statement actually I mean that's that's actually frightening to hear I'm, I'm, I'm you know I, I guess it's true Ben I guess you understand the situation well and that's that that's really quite a statement. Well, like um, just I, I, cer- I certainly there. hope that's not the case. To be honest, <laughs> that's, well, I, uh, I
1: just want to clarify that, um, like yeah. every country in the world, um, the majority of people in Turkey are wonderful and kind and generous. Yes, but every country has its extremists, and yes. they tend to be angry and less rational.
0: Yes, that 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 makes um. The the Ararat Home for the Aging where, where Seda is living, was that based at all on any real-life facility?
1: Yes. Um, when my grandmother died, um, she had a sister who never married, and she would always visit her sister in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And when she was dying, her biggest concern was who would visit her Yes, her sister. And so my mother, my aunties, and a few of, you know, my older cousins and I decided uh, that we would continue visiting her sister, and we reassured her that we would. And so I spent some time in this nursing home, and many of the scenes that I wrote um, that took place in this nursing home was based upon a nursing home in Los Angeles that was primarily... Uh, people of Armenian descent
0: Were, was there an exhibit there similar to the one that was in your story or that was imaginary no
1: that was something I invented
0: okay um yeah the, I I actually spent some time my grandfather was in her nursing home for several years and those those scenes really rang very true to me <laughs> when I was reading it and she was just such oh, a wonderful good. yeah they, they really did um and I, and I love the relationship between Orhan and Seda. I really, I like the way that relationship evolved. And I also love the fact that you had, which I don't see that much in, in books, relationships between aunts and nieces. Um, I, I really, yeah. I like, you know, you had, you had several of those actually, aunts or eight, eight great aunts in this story, and I, I like that as well. Um, the last thing I was going to ask you, because I know everybody wants to have a chance to to speak with you um, is you talked in a few different interviews. We, we have people in the accessible world community who are aspiring writers, and I was so impressed with your the way that you found your literary agent, that, that kind of targeted approach that you took. And I know that the people that are, are not able to be here tonight but will listen to the download will be very impressed and, and hopefully will, will, you know maybe listen to your great advice. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit how you went about finding your literary agent because I really thought it was a very very smart way to, to do it.
1: Sure. sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I will just state that there's an article I wrote for Writers' Digest that is on my website um, okay. that, that details that, uh, how I got my agent. But I didn't know anyone in publishing and... Um, I was a voracious reader, so I took my 10 favorite books from authors who are still living and turned to their acknowledgement pages and found out who their agents were. And then I wrote um, each of those agents a personalized letter um, explaining how I found them through the books that they had helped bring into the world. And I gave them Uh, a paragraph summary of this gigantic book that spanned 84 years (laughs) and Uh two continents. Um, So that was quite a feat, trying to summarize this novel into one paragraph. Uh And then in the last paragraph, paragraph, I said one or two things about myself, um, that I had a master's in history, that I was a descendant of Survivors, and lastly, that I was a finalist for the Penn Bell Letter Award. And yeah. so tailoring these, these letters to specific agents um, really um, resulted in uh, wonderful feedback. They all asked, not all, I'm sorry, uh, a majority of them asked to see a first chapter and then a handful asked to see my entire manuscript. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, well, it, it was. I, I was. I, I guess. I, I. It seemed so simple when you said it, but when I when I heard you say it in another interview, I thought, Wow, that's really the right way to, to go about it. Um, Ron or Daniel, can you switch us to the computer room and we'll see? Um, I hope you know everybody will have a chance to to ask a question.
2: Hi, this is Sherry. I um, want to say how much I like this book. And I'd like to start by saying, too, that I, I'm really sorry your ancestors had to go through such a horrific event, a genocide like this. Um, I love the language in the book. I thought you were able to convey horrors in a, a minimal way that um, in some ways made them more horrific because your own imagination picked up where you stopped. One of the phrases I liked the best was emaciated moon. I thought it was just really powerful to think of an emaciated moon. But my other question about language was the title of the inheritance. Did you intend that to have a double meaning? Because I took it to mean not only the inheritance of the property, but the inheritance of the guilt.
1: My writing. um, I really love lyrical, poetic literature, so I really appreciate you saying that, especially since the New York Times um, sort of slammed me for my flowery language. (laughs) Um, Well, regarding the title, yes, uh, I definitely meant for it to have more than one meaning. Um, I do believe that the trauma is inherited by both descendants of victims and perpetrators it's a collective trauma and in fact it's it's an inheritance of the world whenever large you know vast uh, portions of humanity are victimized it's something that we as a as a community in the world the world global community uh, inherits so I did I did wish for orhan to think of about not just the property but all the history family history as well as national history he was inheriting, inheriting. Hello?
0: Hello? hello hello hello
1: yes did you guys hear me
0: yes
3: Do you want me to go back to the chat room? Great. Great.
0: Um, yes. I, I. Does any other people have questions? I hope. Or.
3: Uh, yeah, this is Alan. I, I just want to thank you for 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 writing such an excellent story, and uh, I, I have to confess, uh, you know, I've heard yeah I've heard bits and pieces of the Armenian genocide, you know, through the years, and that how Turkey's always. You know, trying to act like it. You know, of course, I'm 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 vastly generalizing, acting like it didn't exist. And uh, I, but I I just have to uh, uh, applaud you for writing a story that was so very well done. That's that presents the that presents the events around uh, a, a story that, that makes it interesting and 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 captures you know the interest of folks. But doesn't let hate and, and and such enter into the story because, like I think you've alluded to, we've got enough extremists in the world, and, and this is the kind of story that that gets people talking and gets people asking questions and learning, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, eventually resolving differences and stuff. And I, and I realize I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm very much generalizing, but uh, uh, I, I just. Take my hat off to you for, 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 for doing such a good job and, and doing it with with an open mind and uh, uh, hopefully to, to get people talking and thinking and, uh, and, and, and uh, getting along, hopefully. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, definitely reconciliation and peace was at the center of the intention behind the novel and I'm so glad that readers Readers could see that.
2: I was wondering, um, I would guess that you're not planning on writing a sequel to this book, but I was wondering if in your mind you had sort of an epilogue in mind that you could share with us as to what happened to Orhan after the book.
1: You know, I don't know... What happens to other writers when they leave a cast of characters? I spent almost 10 years with these people and this place, and then I put them away. And I am so far down a different rabbit hole right now with completely different group of people in a completely different place and time, that I, it's hard enough to walk around this world um, existing on two planes. If I, if I walked around thinking about the here and now of my home and my family and, you know, everyday things like bills and doctors and things like that, and the and the second world that I'm creating now, if I added Orhan and his world, I may be committed to an insane asylum. Uh So I no no longer think about the characters of the first book because I have way too many new characters in my head right now that I could barely keep track of them all. Um, So I don't think about what happened to Orhan, I really hope that he went on to have a happy, fulfilling life and felt a responsibility to history and the truth.
3: Okay, Don. we couldn't hear you at all.
2: Uh, if you want to type in something, that would work. Leela, I noticed you had your hand up, too, if you want to give it a try.
4: Hi. Sorry about that. Uh, can you guys hear me now? Yes. Here's the deal. I have two headsets, basically um, the, the, uh, this headset here and the one I work with. And I forgot I have the one that I work with. <laughs> um, I have to say I love the book. I actually loved your language, loved your descriptions, cried for some of them, uh, especially the part about the um, the butcher's wife giving birth and that, that soldier. Um, but I... And I, don't, I hope you guys don't mind me going this path, but I loved the ending. It's funny because I was thinking toward the end oh what if they did a museum or something and i wasn't sure they would do that with the house but when orhan said that that was so awesome and just so you know you had said you you hope that orhan um had a fulfilling life well in my little imagination if you will um i do this i i imagine things at the end in the books and stuff like that and some is more fun than in others, but um, I imagined him and Ani having a little relationship, getting the museum together, and just going from there. That's funny, because I didn't imagine him and
2: Ani together at all. As a matter of fact, I was kind of glad that they didn't end up together. Um, I did have a plot question, and I, I hate to burden you with this, but I was curious as to why Fatma would send Orhan over to check on this house stuff knowing what she knows and knowing that he will probably find out the truth. I was wondering why she didn't decide to tell him ahead of time. Was she concerned about what he was going to find out, or did she think he wouldn't find out anything? I was just curious about her. She was one of my favorite characters in addition to, well, I guess I liked most of the characters, and I agree with Leela. I spent a lot of time crying over parts of this book. It was really pretty devastating, which is an, a tribute to your writing.
1: Um, well, I just want to say one thing to Leela. I, I never imagined them in a relationship, but I'm grateful for what you said about the ending because I agonized over that ending for maybe six months and would have let the publisher um, publish it until I, I was sure that was the, the right ending. Um, regarding the plot question. The last time Fatma saw Seda, she was mute. So she had no reason to worry about Zeta speaking, and she was very interested in keeping the home in the family. Um, And it wasn't... Fatma who made that decision Uh, that decision was made by you know the request was made by Kemal um, and Orhan once Orhan had decided that Fatma simply told him to go do what he needed to do and come back so she knew Seda was mute um, Seda was mute for the entire time that Fatma knew her so she didn't think it would be And maybe there was a part of Fatma that wanted Orhan to know. You know, it She didn't kept yes. that secret for a long, long time.
0: Yes, that, that that's what I thought actually. I thought maybe on some level she you know, she was coming to the end of her life and maybe she wanted to Yes. you know, to have them know the truth. Um, but, but I like that we all have different interpretations. I think that's actually wonderful. Um, Don actually wrote a note. He was wondering how were you received as an Armenian Christian when you visited Turkey?
1: Um, I was very well received in Istanbul um, and all of the sort of cosmopolitan areas. Uh, once we flew into um, the region of Sivas, and especially in this tiny, remote village, um, I did have Turkish translators, uh, friends, and she um, told me never to speak Armenian. The villagers, oh. that my, hu- my husband and I were uh, American archaeologists, so okay. um, I was received pretty well. I covered my head. I was I wore a headscarf out of respect for their culture while I was in the village. Um, but I don't think I would have come out and announced there that I was Armenian. Okay.
0: Um, I, you know, I, I had written myself a note, and, and I did want to ask this other question. Um, when we first met Lucine and her sister and the rest of her family, their uncle had just been taken away and the father wanted to stay in Turkey, but they kept talking about leaving for another country. And I was wondering, as, as you're a historian as, as well as an author, how difficult would it have been for the family to be able to have left Turkey at that time? Was, that, was it easy to do it, or would it have been very, very difficult?
1: It would depend on the family's economic situation. This particular family was quite affluent, There were families who were very wealthy who left um, for the United States and Europe um, before the worst of the atrocities. Um, But there were many people who had the means but just could never imagine something like that happening. I mean, it had never... it's, It's hard for people to sometimes accept what is a a political climate that is yeah they were so hopeful because you know they had um they had replaced the sultan with a parliament there were Mm -hmm. armenians in that parliament and in fact just last week an armenian senator stood up last week was the hundred and first Anniversary uh, commemorating the Armenian genocide, and in Turkey, an Armenian senator who was part of the Turkish Parliament stood up, and he, in his hand, he had I don't know how many seven or eight black and white photographs of the Armenian parliamentarians who were murdered on the night of April twenty fourth, nineteen fifteen. And from the Senate floor, he called for a committee to investigate their their murders. And this week, in fact, yesterday, um, a video was released where the same gentleman was standing on the Senate floor, just looking around peacefully, when 40 other senators um, rushed him from behind and beat him to a pulp for suggesting such a thing, and called him an Armenian dog. So feelings about this event run very very deep in turkey even today and there's no there are no laws against hate speech and when i saw that gentleman stand up i and i heard what he had done and i watched a video of what he had done two weeks ago 10 days ago i turned to my husband and said he is a dead man my god does he have children does he have a wife why did he do that and um You know, I was very distraught yesterday because he is alive, um, but I I am concerned for his safety. It's very difficult to speak the truth in certain political climates. So Lucene's father was optimistic and hopeful and believed in the rule of the law. Mm -hmm. And uh, some would call, call him naive, and some would call that Armenian senator naive
0: or brave. I don't know yeah probably well, it depends, I guess how how you look at it. it It, it goes back a little bit to I, I've heard you speak in a, a couple of different interviews where you were talking about how I'm probably going to say this wrong, but how you were surprised that that language couldn't always convey the way events were. And it was so interesting to me because although I love reading and I love literature, I definitely can understand that there are some experiences that it would really be difficult to to convey with language, and I know that's one of your epigraphs in in the beginning of the story, and it it, it really is interesting, and it's a very, it's an important question, really. I mean, are there some experiences that you really, I, I guess that's what I like so much about your book, because you really felt its power, and the language was so beautiful and it's such a shocking story, and even listening to, uh, you know, what you're saying tonight, it's it's even more shocking, to be honest. It's it's, but it's but it is an experience that you were able to to write about, and 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 the power comes through. So, I think you were right, and I was wrong, actually, about this. So, <laughs> it was it was a very interesting um, thing. Um, I don't know if we have any other questions. Um, Ron, should we go back to the computer room and see I think Sherry has a question?
2: Uh, not a question but a comment. I wanted to say in um, the commemora- the anniversary, the commemoration, there isn't was an article in the April issue of National Geographic about the Armenian genocide, if anyone is interested in looking that up.
0: And also, um, I, I can you. I believe that you you also had mentioned in some interviews that Fatma was one of your favorite characters. Maybe you could just talk a, a little bit about her as well.
1: Yeah, she was definitely one of my favorite characters. She um, was unexpected. Um, I, you know, didn't expect her to be so feisty and funny and irreverent. Um, I realized at some point that she was based upon um, somebody I know, one of my good good friends' uh, grandmother who I've befriended over the years. And when I realized that, I really started calling her and asking her for um, proverbs. And she had grown up in Turkey um, mm-hmm. and lives in California now. And, you know, Faha was provided some laughter and cunning and and in a a novel that was quite dark she made me laugh and i loved that to to put a woman in a burqa in a powerful position like many people in the west when i when i see a woman in a burqa i sometimes assume that they are less empowered um and that's just not always true it's a stereotype. Yeah. So I wanted I wanted to break that stereotype with Fatma. I wanted a woman in a burqa who uses the burqa to her advantage whenever she wants to.
0: I mean, you created so many memorable female characters in this story, and they're all different, but they're all, well, I'm not going to say most of them are, are, are pretty strong characters. I I loved Betty. I said to myself, if I ever ended <laughs> up in a assisted living facility, I would love if I had somebody like that looking out for my interest, because she was was watching what what everything was going on, and I guess the the character that it was, you know, I thought about a little bit was was the mother, Myrick, because she was, you know, she went down sort of a different path than the other characters, and you can understand why why she acted the way she did. Um, and it's very, very difficult to circumstances. And you know, I think it was she was a good contrast, I guess, with some of the other characters also.
1: I, I agree I know. I
0: think a traction. I Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if it's, it might be my phone, possibly.
3: I had a phone problem here for a few seconds. I want to go back about 30, 30 seconds.
0: Okay. I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm sure when you do radio interviews, <laughs> this must seem. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're trying, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more complicated than you would think, I guess. Um, yeah, no, it was it was interesting. I mean, I, I loved all the diversity of all the the female characters and how you know they were they were many of them were very strong characters. But I thought it was good that you did put Myrick in the story because I thought it was a good it was a necessary contrast because people do have you know different ways that they that they deal with such devastating circumstances and and everybody unfortunately doesn't always rise to the occasion. So I, I thought it was I thought she was it was good that she was in the story actually um, I think Thank Don you. had another I think Don did you have a question did you want to type it or write it? yes um, was the real American missionary able to rescue her students I think he's talking about um, Mary Graham.
1: Yes Mary Gratham uh, was ordered back to the. Um, from Malatya, so she had to leave her and what she did was quite remarkable, because instead of getting the heck out of there, she decided to stay, and she bought the, the property of some European person who had left, and she turned that property into an orphanage for any children that were left from the Armenian Greek Christian community. So she actually died in Sivas. She never went back to Rhode Island, even though her mother begged her to come back. Uh, She stayed in Sivas. I have to say she was fluent in Turkish and Armenian, and um, she operated that orphanage until she died of TB, tuberculosis.
0: Wow, she was really a remarkable woman. I'm, I'm so glad that we all learned about her, actually, from your novel. Um, and she was quite
1: beautiful as well. I just want to add that.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that's good, too. Um, I guess we'll see if anybody has any, any final questions. And I guess maybe, I don't think we've actually talked yet about your um, great-grandmother and the experience that you had with her when you were really very young and what she said to you and how that partially inspired the story. So I thought that might be a, a nice place that we could end the interview, if, if that's okay. Sure.
1: My great grandmother Elizabeth was my maternal great grandmother. I lived, uh, I grew up in a large immigrant family in Southern California. Uh, my aunts and uncles had homes uh, in the same neighborhood. And we spent a lot of time together. And uh, when I was eight years old, my great-grandmother saw me watching The Sound of Music uh, from Rodgers and Hammerstein's Sound of Music, the movie. And at the time, I really didn't know who the Nazis were. I just sort of thought of them as dad guys. And I was quite obsessed with this movie. And I kept watching it all summer long. And one day, she was very different than the other women in my family. She was very stoic and somber. And the women in my family tend to be quite vocal and um, funny and and feisty and um, powerful in their own way. Um, My great-grandmother Elizabeth was very quiet and rarely engaged anyone in any kind of conversation. Um, But that one day, she um, observed me watching that movie, and she asked me to follow her to her bedroom, and uh, she told me about how she had been the only member of her family to survive um, these deportations, and she told me of her escape. And it was quite a dark story, to hear at such a such a young age I I think I was eight or possibly nine so I was quite traumatized by the story and never really repeated it or spoke about it um, until many many years later I found out that uh, she had never told anyone about that chapter in her life she had not told her daughter my grandmother who I loved who was like the polar opposite of her. And she had mm-hmm. never told her grandchildren, my mother and her sisters. For some reason, with all of those bodies walking around, um, she chose to tell me that story. And I, many, many, many years later, wove bits and pieces of that story into this novel
0: yeah it, it, there are some things I think that just can't be explained. <laughs> this sounds like it it might be one of those things that can't be explained and it's it's really it that's that's this is this book it, I, I we've heard so many amazing stories actually this is just a, another one um I think sherry and Alan both had their hands raised um if you guys wanted to um if you had another question for to say or
3: yeah, yeah. This is Alan, uh, and I very much liked the the fact my character too, and uh, I really appreciated and, uh, the fact that 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 you had her do whatever she needed to do uh, in that hellish time of, of of when all that stuff was going on, and uh, I, I, I I totally respected her for. for for uh, living by her wits and 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 using her her her, her, her feminine ways to do, to you know to survive, and I really appreciated that, and I I really liked her colorful language and stuff too. I appreciated that, but w- one thing maybe you could help me out, and, and this is just I guess I lost a little bit of the timeline because I kept thinking of of of, Seda, uh, uh, of being considerably younger than Fatma, but I mean she she. Must have only been like a couple of years younger, I guess, because I lost track of how Fatima said she was at the, at the beginning, I guess. Uh, maybe she said she was 93, and, and I guess uh, Seda was like 90, so they were really only like three years apart? Or m- maybe you could just help me out on that? Uh, because she just seemed like, because uh, she was like taking care of of, uh, of Seda when she uh, was protecting her and stuff, it, she just... She felt like she was a lot over at that point, and that, that was just something that I missed. I guess. Thanks.
1: Okay, so that's a great question, Alan. Um, Seda and Fatma were four and a half years apart. So when the genocide began, um, they were fifteen and nineteen, and then by the time they met each other, you know, sixteen and twenty. The difference was that Seda grew up in a an affluent. Household, and she wasn't. She was really wasn't forced to grow up as quickly as Fatma was. Um, In 1915, in a Turkey that was uh, mostly illiterate and poor, um, women like Fatma sometimes married at age 14 or 15. Now, educated, uh, affluent uh, women who whose parents had been abroad, like Lucine were married much later. Um, So Lucien was more childlike, but at 19 and 20, Fatma had already lost a husband and had been prostituting for a while. So she was just more worldly and wiser, but they were only four and a half years apart. But sometimes economic differences, sociocultural differences, and circumstances forced people to grow up way too fast, and that's what had happened to Fatma.
0: What what other languages has your book been translated in at this point, and what countries is it available in right now?
1: It was the number one book in Serbia, um, Bulgaria, Israel, Greece, Italy, um, Armenia, I think that Mongolia I I don't, I don't know. I think there are 14 other languages.
0: I don't remember well, them all. but it's, it's, it's obviously a, a, it's, it's been translated into quite a few languages, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let me just check. I think I think everybody's had a chance to 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 talk and we we just want to thank you. This was really 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 special. It was really wonderful having you here. Um the book is 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 very memorable and very beautiful and just listening to you talk about it, we can all hear the passion that you have for this story. I know you said that you put it away, but I think a little bit of passion probably is remaining and um and we're all very, you know, anxious to to read Hopefully, many, many more novels from you in, in in the future. So, thank thank you very much for joining us, and and um, it's it's really been it's it's just been tr- really really wonderful listening to you tonight.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Your readers are, have such wonderful, smart questions. I want to thank you all for reading my novel, and if you haven't already done so, I I would love um, any and all Amazon reviews. I'm I'm quite a new author, and I I would appreciate that.
0: Yes, I, I've been actually telling every person I know who reads about your book, so oh, I'm sure the you. word of mouth on your book is, is is tremendous. But I certainly would be happy to go to Amazon and write a review, and I know thank everybody you. else in, would, in our community would be as well. So, thank you so much, and um, we we look forward to your next novel and. Um, you know like I said we really do appreciate it's really all of us are are great readers and um, I I started having uh, issues with my vision a couple of years ago I'm kind of new to to the low vision community and the blind community and I have to to say that I am it's books I loved books but now they're they're even more special to me they're they're just they're they're like magical (laughs) And I, and I and it's just wonderful, you know, having the chance to to actually talk with an author. So thank you, thank you for joining us. And um, you're welcome. You know, all
1: have a good night.
0: Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.
4: I did review it on Audible, and I think Audible is a part of Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. That narrator was great.
0: Uh, the next time we're meeting is um, four weeks from tonight, June 2nd. Um, and we're going to be reading another historical fiction, but, um, you know, a different different place. And um, it's called The Mistress of Nothing. And the author is Kate Pullinger, P-U-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. And uh, we will send out the newswire, so it will be on the, the DB review. And, and other places. Um, it's, it's not a long book. I think it's about eight, 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 eight and a half hours. Um, the DB number is 74878. Um, I read this book maybe six months ago. Um, I, I loved it. I just thought it was what... Now, I, I will tell you that it's about eight hours, and the first four hours are a little slower. The last four hours there's like so much going on but the first four hours it's a little slow like the story kind of builds up to the the middle and then the end part of the story so if you start reading it and you're like oh this story is a little slow just know that it's going to get much more fast paced and there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going on in the second half of the book um Most of the story takes place in Egypt. It starts out in London. Um, It's it's also a story that's in the early 20th century. Um, It also, also is based on some real life people, but a lot of the story is imaginary. It deals with issues of class. It deals with issues of gender and race, and and plus it's a really kind of there's a lot of interesting human relationships, and I I think you'll all like it. So, um, it also won um, the Governor's General Award in Canada, which is like their most famous uh, literary award. A couple of years ago, so it's called The Mistress of Nothing, and the author is Kate Pullinger p-u-l-l-i-n-g-e-r and I know Sherry put the information in the chat box the dialogue box on top um, but we're going to send out a newswire tomorrow as well and thank you everybody for coming and, and asking such great questions I really appreciate it, Sherry really appreciates it and, um, and um, you know, thank you very much